Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you today. Are you ready to learn something about how to help your life go a little smoother this morning? I hope you are, because what we're talking about, what we began talking about last week, is how to make dead-on decisions. How many agree it's important to make good decisions? How many have made some really bad decisions? Yeah, I have too. All of us have, and we've paid the consequences of it. See, because bad decisions, the consequences of those bad choices, those bad decisions, can begin to take on a life of their own. And if we make enough of them, or if we make some really colossal bad decision, it can really limit our future opportunities and our future choices. And we don't want that to happen. And so we are learning how to make dead-on decisions from a biblical, from a scriptural standpoint. You know, history is rife with bad decisions. We can look at history and see very bad decisions and their consequences. For example, the Trojan horse, accepting the Trojan horse. You know, hey, what a cool-looking horse. Hey, open the gates. Let's bring this thing in, right? Or how about more realistically, the Titanic The Titanic doesn't need lifeboats for all of her passengers. She's unsinkable. 1876, Western Union President William Orton turns down buying the patent for the telephone, saying it's only a gimmick. Wow, was that a bad mistake. How about this? Decca Records turned down producing the Beatles' first record album, saying... Guitar bands are a thing of the past. And yet in 1967 alone, it's estimated that the Beatles earned $38.5 million. In today's dollars, that would be hundreds of millions of dollars. How about this one? 20th Century Fox signs over all Star Wars product merchandising to George Lucas in exchange for a $20,000 pay cut on his initial contract. So far, those merchandises have yielded $3 billion and it's still growing. 12 publishing firms rejected J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, it's a stupid little book. It's never going to go anywhere. I th- what do they do now? Harry Potter? I don't know what, what episode they're up to now. And the worst decision of all time, Adam and Eve eating the forbidding fruit. I mean, what couldn't hurt, right? See, bad decisions bring bad consequences. That's the way it works. And if we make enough bad decisions, again, we are greatly going to limit our future choices and our future opportunities. So last week, when we started the series, let me catch you up. For those who weren't here, we decided that for Christ's followers, the starting place for all dead on decisions is God. Now let me emphasize that again. The starting place. Where do we typically invite God into the decision-making process? At the end, right? Especially at the end of a bad decision. When we're asking God, we're begging him to bail us out of this horrible set of circumstances we found ourselves in. And will God do that? Yes, God will do that. But it will even take God time and effort to help us get through those circumstances, and it'll bring a lot of 
uh, chaos in the process and probably a lot of pain in the process to correct those bad decisions. So far better is it to invite God into the decision-making process in the beginning rather than being crying on our knees to God at the end when things are already crazy and chaotic in our lives. And we said that we do that by exercising and taking the conformity test. And it has a couple parts to it. What has God already said about this in the Word, in the Bible? God has spoken on so many things, and last week I gave you several different ways that you can find out what God has said in the Bible. If you missed the message last week, go online and pick it up or pick up one of the CDs at the resource table. But this conformity test, I showed you four forms of it. Number one is, am I conforming to God's revealed will? What has God already said in the Bible about it? Number two, we looked at it, am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit? What is God saying about this right now? Then we talked about number three, am I conforming to godly counsel? Am I listening to people around me? And number four, am I conforming to God's provisions? Where God guides, God provides. God's direction will not give us a hernia. It's not going to put a burden on us. Remember this. I have the freedom to make my own choices. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. It's important. You got to write that down. I have the freedom to make my own choices. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences, at least not in all occasions. So let's not mess up our lives. Let's not complicate our lives. Let's first invite God into the decision-making process at the beginning, not at the end. And if you will use the things that I'm going to teach you over the next couple of weeks and really commit them to, to memory even, it's, it's not going to be hard to do that, then you'll have a mobile decision-making template. And when you're making even spontaneous decisions, you can stop and say, okay, now what has God said about this in the past? God, what are you saying to me right now? And we'll make far better decisions. In fact, we'll learn to make dead-on decisions. Now, today I want to talk about, next week I'm going to finish this part of it because we won't have time to get it through all today. We're going to talk about the don'ts of great decision-making, the don'ts of dead-on decision-making. Number one, don't rush it. Don't rush your decision-making. Again, Adam and Eve in the garden. What can it hurt, right? But let's remember how this thing played out. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Scripture says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, right off the bat, when they're tempted to eat this fruit by Satan in the form of the serpent in the garden, they fail to take the conformity test. I mean, right off the bat, if they would have said, what has God revealed about this? End of story, right? End of story, because God had said to them, you can eat of any tree in the whole garden, anything you want, except 
one tree, except one tree. You can't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they would have taken the conformity test and said, what has God already said? End of story. But then they could have gone to step two and say, what is God saying about it now? Remember, this was a time before sin came into the world. And a time, as we see later on, that the Bible says that God used to come down and visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the garden. If they didn't rush this, if they didn't make an impulsive decision, when God came down that night, they could say, hey, God, we want to run something by you here. I mean, they could have talked directly to God. How many of us would like that opportunity and have God right there, right, and give us an immediate answer? They had that opportunity. They could have said, hey, God, something interesting happened today. We were kind of in the garden. We got kind of near the middle, and the serpent told us that you don't want us eating that fruit because if we do, we'll be like you. God, is that true? Is that why you don't want us to eat it? And God could have explained things. See, they had the chance to not make that decision and consequently plunge all humanity into sin if they had taken the conformity test, if they had not rushed their decision, if they had not made an impulsive decision because it looked tempting, it looked delicious, that fruit, and if they could become wise by it, they could, they could advance themselves, and they made a horrible, horrible, horrible decision. And we're suffering for it today. A great many of our bad decisions are driven by our own what? Impulsiveness. And I have found this to be particularly true in our financial decisions. I'm, I, I've done it. I remember sitting in the house one night and got a knock on the door. Opened the door, and here's a guy from an alarm company. I won't, I won't tell you which alarm company it is. And he said, we're canvassing the neighborhood because, you know, things are getting bad and, and you, you might want an alarm service to protect your home while you're gone. And I already had one. But I said, he said, but I told him, I said, no, I'm, we already have one. I'm already using one. And he said, well, ours is advanced. Ours can do things I'm sure yours can't do. And so the idiot I was that night, I had a weak moment. I invited him in. And so Stella and I sit down at the table and he gives us his spiel, you know. And you know how those things go, you know, couples? You're sitting across the table, you're trying to read each other. And Stella had been saying, wow, that's really cool. Man, that's neat. Long story short, I said, well, you know, we, I'd like some time to think about it. You know, this really sounds appealing. We might want to do it. And he says, get this, you'll, you'll relate to this. He says, you know, these are going so fast, we just don't have time to come back. You know, we don't have time to come back, and, and the company says we can, you know, I mean, people are getting these left and right and stuff, and it's just not a good, and so I'm looking at Stella, she's looking at me, and so what did I do? I signed a five-year contract, and immediately when I signed the contract, there were other people at the door putting in the new stuff, and so for the next five years, I paid $61.47 for something I was already getting free from my housing association. And the only thing new was I could turn it on and off with my cell phone. 
Oh, what an inconvenience having to come into the door and punch the numbers into the panel right next to the door. See, it was a ridiculous decision, and I regretted it almost immediately. In fact, after, you know, I said, well, you know, there we are. We've got this new thing. And Stella said, why did you do that? I said, what do you mean, why did I do that? You, you, it was one of these things, you know. But, but anyhow, we make these impulsive decisions, don't we? And we end up regretting. In fact, it wasn't a month later that I had put in the folder that I paid that bill with every month, the final date of that contract. <laughs> and I said, when that day comes, I'm canceling this thing, and I didn't want to miss it. But anyhow, that's what we do. Listen, dead on decision makers, wait, W-A-I-T, wait until they are ready to make a dead on decision. You know what? Don't fall for those things like I fell for it. Those things were, I'm sorry, this is a one-time deal. I can only give you this deal. That car dealer, they play that all the time, don't they? I can't, I can't give you this deal. My, my manager said this is, he didn't want to make this deal, and I can't give it to you tomorrow. Say, okay, well, somebody else will, right? Wait. Don't rush into it. Don't let your attraction, don't let your impulses take over. Readiness is the key, not speed. In fact, speedy decisions often turn into horrific decisions. So don't rush it. Proverbs 14, 15 says this, A simple man believes anything, but a patient man gives thoughts to his steps. And that's what we want to be as children of God. We want to be not foolish, not simple, just believing what everything is or believing what our eyes are telling us or believing what, what our desires want, we're going to give patient thought. We're going to make a dead-on decision because we are not going to rush the decision-making process. You say, now when am I going to know that it's time to pull the trigger on the decision? When will I know? Well, you'll know because you'll have taken the conformity test. What has God already revealed about this? What's the Holy Spirit saying about it? You'll reach out to godly counsel. You'll see if God seems to be providing the provisions and this isn't going to put you in danger or your family in danger. And you're going to not be impulsive on it. You're not going to rush it. So you're going to know you're at the right place when you've done all that and the Holy Spirit is not banging on your conscience saying, don't do this, don't do this. And... Even if you'd spend more time, you would make the same decision. You've already come to the place where you are very confident that you have taken the proper steps and other steps we're going to be looking at. And you say, you know, if I take more time, I'm still going to make this decision. And so then it's time to pull the trigger. Second, don't ignore your gut. That's the second don't of dead on decision making. Don't ignore your gut. As active Christ followers, our gut is actually the voice of who? The Holy Spirit. See? It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. Again, John 14, 26, we've looked at it the last two weeks. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have to say to you. And remember, we also discovered in Scripture that Scripture says the Holy Spirit will only speak to us what he hears. And that means 
God will speak to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will speak to us. So when our gut is all kind of wrenched up and we have absolutely no comfort in this thing, then we've got to pause and say, okay, Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me now? Holy Spirit, is God, are you, are you, are you holding? Because and, and, we're not going to make impulsive decisions, so we're not going to make a decision when we sense that uneasiness. We're going to wait until we follow the other processes of making dead-on decisions before we make the decision. Active Christ followers, our gut is actually the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you can relate to this where you were in a decision-making problem process and, and, and your spirit just was whacked out. You, you weren't comfortable at all in it. How many have had that experience? I'm, I have on numerous occasions. Well, don't ignore that and don't just mistake that for fear. And some of you say, oh, I just can't make decisions. I'm just always afraid to make a decision. Listen, as a believer, use your spiritual resources and trust, trust them. Trust them that they're there to help you and not to hurt you. Not, not to oppress you, but to liberate you. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. Third, don't, don't ignore godly advice from others. Now, we emphasize this already, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But don't ignore godly advice. Our advice. And how are we going to get godly advice? Because that's part of the conformity test, Right? is seeking God, the opinion and the advice from godly people. We build a team to help us make, especially the important decisions in our life. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to what? Advice. That first line, the way of the fool seems right to him. We can rationalize practically anything. We can talk ourselves into anything. That night I talked myself in, I can turn this thing off and on with my cell phone. Wow, was that worth sixty-seven or $61.47 a month for the next five years? You know, but we can talk ourselves into anything. So that's why we don't rush it. That's why we trust our gut. And that's why we seek advice particularly in major decisions that can have major consequences. Get godly people, and we talked about that, who you should choose, what kind of person you should turn to. Fourth, don't let others decide for you. Do seek godly advice from others, but don't let others decide for you. You have to make your decision. Genesis 3, 6 again, that account of Adam and Eve in, in, in eating the fruit. You know, we want to blame Eve for all of this. But the scripture says Adam was right there at the same time. He could have said, and he should have said, Eve, wait a minute, hold on. Something's not right about this. But he allowed Eve to make the decision for both of them. He went along with a really, really bad decision. See, we can't allow others to draw us into that. 
Was Eve created by God just like Adam was created by God? Yeah. Did she have the same relationship with God? Yeah. But she made a bad choice, and Adam made a bad choice following her lead. An even clearer example of this is in the story of the children of Israel getting ready to enter the promised land after having been saved by God through Moses from captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And he miraculously brings them out of Egypt. They plunder the Egyptians. They just say, get out of here. They give them gold. They give them food. They give them everything. The Egyptians <clears throat> change their mind. Pharaoh changes his mind. They chase him to the, to the Red Sea. Moses extends his staff. The Red Sea parts. They go through on dry ground. The waters come back and, and drown the armies of, of, of Pharaoh. They're in the will. I mean, God has over and over again and over and over again protected them and led them. Now he's going to bring them into the promised land. Numbers 13, verses 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Read it with me. Which I am giving to the Israelites. Read that again. Which I am giving to the Israelites. Had God revealed his will? What he said? He said, go send some men to what? Explore the land that I am what? Giving you. So we know the story. Moses sends out a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go explore the land. But then things get turned around. Numbers 13, verses 31 through 32. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. So the 12 come back, and with the exception of two, they give a bad report. And they said, we can't do that. This is ridiculous. The people are giants in that land. That land is huge. There's no way we can possibly take that land. Now, what had God said? Did God say, go evaluate whether to go into the land or not? God said, go check it out because I'm about to give it to you. And they came back and they gave bad advice. Numbers 14, verses 20 through 23. The Lord replied after they decided they weren't going in now. God says, I have forgiven them as you asked. Moses asked God for their forgiveness, and he said, okay, I've, given, I've forgiven them. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me, uh, disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. Remember what we said? I have the freedom to make my own choices. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. Now, their decision was disastrous. Every adult, male and female, of that generation died before God finally allowed the Israelites to go into the land. Now, mind you, even who? 
even Moses. See, Moses allowed others to make a decision for him. Moses was the leader. Moses should have said, I don't care what they say. God has already spoken. God is speaking now. We're going into the land. But he allowed himself, in this case, to be intimidated, probably, at least negatively influenced by the report. And when these guys went about and gossiped about it to all the people, and the people started complaining then Moses kind of backed away. And he himself paid a severe consequence because he himself had to turn the reins over to Joshua and God led him up in the mountain and, and, and God took him home and would not let him go into the promised land. See, we need to invite godly counsel. But in the end, we have to make the decision. Don't let others Decide for you. It's your decision, not their decision. I have the freedom to make my own choices, and they are my choices. And I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to make a dead-on decision. I'm not going to make an impulsive decision. I'm going to seek God first in my decision-making, but in the end, it's my decision. And I'm going to make my decision because I have the freedom to make my decision. I do not have the freedom to choose my own consequences. And when I listen to others, I might be going down a path that is going to turn my life upside down. We've got to make dead-on decisions. God wants us. God has given us scriptural direction in this because he knows how consequential making bad decisions are. And we already know that, especially this group. Our traditional service usually features a, a, a lot of folks like me. They got some silver on top. And we've lived life a long time. And we've made some really good decisions. And we've made some really bad decisions. <laughs> And we know what this is all about. But you know what? It doesn't matter how young you are. In fact, you could argue that the younger somebody is, the more important it is to be making great decisions, dead-on decisions. Because you got your life ahead of you. If you're in the middle of the road, you don't want to mess up what you've accomplished. And if at the end of your life, it's once again probably as important as it was in the beginning of our life. Because at our age, in our place in life, we can't afford to make some really bad decisions. Right? And God wants us to make great decisions. Today, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And as we do, let us remember the most sacrificial decision that was ever made. John 3.16 talks about, for God so loved the world that he decided to give his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Our ushers, our deacons are going to come and they're going to distribute the communion elements. As they do, I'm going to encourage you to hold them in your hand until we've all received him and then we'll partake of the communion together.
You know, the greatest decision and the most important decision that any human being ever makes is what they're going to do about Jesus. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, our human situation is this. We are born into sin. We are born sinners. And because that's true of every one of us, we are born under the condition of eternal separation from God. We are born with a death sentence. And if we don't make a decision to change that, then it's going to take its natural course and we'll die and we'll be condemned. But we have a choice to make. We have free will. We have the freedom to make a decision on who Jesus was and what Jesus did for humanity. And scripture tells us, if we believe on him, we'll be forgiven. If we don't, well, we're already condemned, so nothing changes and our life is gonna play out to the end and our eternal destiny is sealed for us already. Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That'll all change. God has already done everything that's necessary for our forgiveness. That's the beauty of it. I don't have to do anything. God's already done it. The only thing he asks me to do is exercise faith and say, God, I believe that Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. I believe that he has already paid my sin debt. And I can put that into effect, what he did on the cross, by confessing with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. God, right now, I confess to you that Jesus is the only way back to you. There is no other way but Jesus. And believe in my heart. And God knows the heart of all humanity. And believe in my heart that Jesus came back forth triumphantly. Now, why has God centered it all on Jesus? Because Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, don't you think that right now I could pray to the Father and he'd send 12 legions of angels to rescue me? He says, no man takes my life from me. Here's what Jesus said. I give it up freely. Jesus knew that the only way that humanity could come back to God was if he made the ultimate sacrifice. And it was a tough decision because we see him in the garden just before he goes to the cross praying three times, Father, if it can be, let this cup pass from me. Three times he prayed that, knowing what was about to happen. And yet, all three times, he concluded his prayer by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, God. Jesus loved us that much to go to the cross. And that's what Jesus was alluding to 
went in Matthew chapter 26. He was in the upper room with his disciples. Just before all this is playing out. In fact, after they finish this Passover meal, they go, they sing a hymn and they go to the garden and he prays. Disciples fall asleep and Judas comes and betrays him. But Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus gave us this beautiful ceremony to remind us how much he loves us and to what extent he was willing to go for our forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you made a decision we, we can't even begin to imagine to give your one and only son to die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus that you made the decision not to back away, even though you had that choice. You had the freedom to back away. But you made the agonizing decision to go to the cross for the sins of humanity. Thank you. Thank you that because of your love, because of your sacrifice, we can have an eternal difference. We can be taken from out from under the penalty that we're born under and exchange that penalty. Have it signed and paid for by you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive our morning offering. Let me encourage you again to let's really get back into to giving our best to the Lord. Remember, you can give text to give. You can use your cell phone and, and do your offering that way. There's instructions in your bulletin, or I think there's signs on the offering kiosk, or you can use one of the offering kiosks to give your gift to the Lord. Let's receive the gifts as we do. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you have a big decision to make. Whether to believe Jesus when he said... In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except to me or to reject that. It's your choice. You have, God has given you the freedom to make that decision. But remember, we don't have the freedom to choose our own consequences. If you're here today and you never trusted Christ, you can do it right now just by following what it says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you do that in prayer. Just talk to God and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, he says, you'll be saved. John 1.12 says, Yet to as many as received him, Jesus, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All God asks is for your faith. That's all he asks. Now, for someone here today, that might, you, you might have never heard that before. You grew up in a church that didn't teach that, and it's, it's biblical. Uh, we're not teaching anything that's not biblical. Or maybe you're just kind of starting your, your journey into the idea of faith. Before you leave, if you weren't ready to make that decision yet, pick up one of these little blue books on your way out. They're at our guest services booth or our literature racks. A little book that says, you can be sure. 
And it'll walk you through what God has revealed through Scripture about how we can know that we know that we know that our sins are forgiven and heaven is going to be our home. If Spanish is your primary language, we have the same booklet in Spanish. You can pick them up. But don't go through life ignoring this important decision. Because we only have one chance to make it, and that's during this life. Once this life passes, our eternal destiny is sealed. God loves you. You know where he wants you to be for all eternity? Right with him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to enjoy the glories that he's preparing for those who believe in him.